Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton, and we have been going through the book In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation. I've been working in the area of uh, science research and uh, science teaching for, for over 50 years now. In fact, it would have been back in uh, 1964 when I uh, started uh, work at the uh, BHP Central Research Laboratories. And I remember my, my boss, my first boss, stood out from the other scientists there uh, in that he was a, a Christian and, and very openly a Christian. And he was a, a really nice guy to, to work for. He loaned me the book. Uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis and he used to talk, uh, this uh, scientist used to talk to me uh, about his, um, his faith in, in Jesus and, and answers to prayer. And I guess um, his, his life, his, uh, the way he did his science, he was a, uh, a meticulous scientist. Uh, he was uh, precise in um, in every detail. Everything had to be spot on. Um, our record keeping uh, had to be spot on. We had to recall uh, all the details, things that went wrong, exactly how things were. We had to record them. Uh, our logbook pages were numbered, so a page couldn't be removed. Um, there was a, a carbon copy kept of uh, of everything that we did as well in terms of recording our results. Later, he uh, took up a, an academic position at the University of, of Melbourne and, and I lost track of him for a while. But I, uh, a couple of years ago now, I uh, met up with him again and uh, to mainly to tell him that I'd become a Christian. And it was interesting that I learned that he too was a, was a creationist and one of the important points that he would point out uh, to his students was, do you really believe that the amazing complexity that we see in nature around us could arise by chance? Now, of course, that's exactly the claim that people who uh, believe in evolution and, and the, the theory of evolution uh, as it's taught in the school claims that all this amazing complexity that we see around us arose by chance. One of the main proponents of this, of course, has been um, the uh, zoologist and uh, leading evolutionist, uh, uh, Dr. Richard Dawkins. And some time ago, he wrote a book, The Blind Watchmaker. And, of course, this... Uh, book received you know glowing um, reports and uh, reviews the the uh, the journal the economist reported the book was a readable and vigorous defense of darwinism um, and um, and promoted as possibly the best defense of darwinism since 1859 um, another review that was uh, published in the Los Angeles Times uh, when the book came out, uh, read along the lines, Every Page Rings of Truth. It is one of the best science books, one of the best of any books I've ever read, the reviewer wrote. 
Um, the book was a winner of the Royal Society of Literature's Heinemann Prize. Um, so, again, this book was uh, promoted as, as being this amazing book. And, and, of course, essentially what the book was uh, saying is that um, where, whereas creation, of course, claim there's design in nature and hence like a watch with all its complicated parts has a watchmaker or a designer, uh, Dawkins, of course, claims in his book, uh, the blind watchmaker, that all this in actual fact can occur by chance. And uh, he talks about how, you know, if you take um, uh, a simple phrase, after a while a, a monkey sitting at a typewriter could type the phrase. Um, however, actually, if you look at the probability carefully, that it's only possible for the monkey to type the phrase if once it has the correct letter that that letter is then preserved. So there's got to be some mechanism that can somehow know that that letter is the correct letter in the correct place. If the mechanism doesn't know that, the chances of the monkey typing a sentence that is meaningful is actually astronomically impossible. And so here we have a very subtle assumption that is being made that is not a valid assumption because nature has no way of selecting or knowing that the right letter is in the right place, just as the monkey doesn't know that the right letter is in the right place at the right time. There would have to be some other external mechanism. And so these are the subtleties that are behind understanding the, the mathematics of the probability of um, life arising by chance. Now, in the book In Six Days... There is a uh, biologist in there, uh, writes in there, a Dr. Timothy Standish, who holds his doctorate in biology and uh, public policy from the University of Virginia. And he goes through and elaborately points out the major shortcomings in Dawkins' book, uh, The Blind Watchmaker. And I think one of the reasons why we um, are doing this program on air is that we, there are a lot of assertions that are being made that evolution is true. It, it, it's a fact now. It underpins the science in our biology classes in, in, in school and even, uh, you know, programs on the ABC for Children Like Play School. You've got the dinosaur train and 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 so forth and uh, learning about the Mesozoic period and the Cretaceous and, and so forth, these, these periods of time. Uh, whereas when we look at the evidence from the Bible and the flood and the way the earth is structured, we know that these events must have occurred all at the same time, these global extinctions. Uh, global marine extinctions that the geological record tells us about that are claimed to be hundreds of millions of years apart. In actual fact, we can see from the evidence they must have occurred at the, at the same time and uh, on, on top of one another. It just doesn't make sense otherwise, and we'll talk about that in more detail another time. But well, the point is that the long ages, the evolutionary theory, things occurring by chance, since things evolving over millions of years as being inculcated into the minds of our young people. But when we actually look at the science, the scientific evidence doesn't support 
the uh, Darwin evolution scenario. And this is the point that Dr. Standish is making, uh, points out. And one of the reasons that the, we've put this out in the, in the book, for example, is so that people can actually read the evidence for themselves that um, rather than just make assertions that, for example, that Dawkins is wrong, that evolution is wrong, we need the data, we need the facts. But those facts aren't getting through to the people. So that's why it's quite important to, uh, to actually look at the data that is now out there. And again, for those uh, listeners, if you simply Google creation.com or Creation Ministries International, and then when you get onto that website, if you do a search for In Six Days, then all the chapters in this book uh, will come up free on the website uh, and you can scroll down. So you could scroll down on the side of the page there, you'll see the name Dr. Timothy Standish and you can look at his article there. One of the, another important aspect, and again, many people don't realise because we, we mainly work in the area of, um, of English literature and English scientists, but a very famous uh, French uh, mathematician, Marcel Paul Schussenberger, uh, who was um, a professor of uh, mathematics in the Faculty of Science at the University of Paris from 1964 to his death in 1996. Uh, prior to that... Um, He'd worked at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology from 1956-1957. He'd worked at Harvard uh, from 1961-1962. He was a a brilliant mathematician and he actually showed back in the 1960s on the basis of mathematics and um, his area was in the um, area of uh, biological mathematics, uh, the maths associated with uh, statistics in in biology, and so he he was certainly an expert right in this area. He also worked in the in the maths behind the development of linguistics and uh, languages, these sort of things, and he points out very very strongly that it is mathematically impossible. It's the, the probability shows that evolution is absolutely impossible from the, from the mathematics. And again, if you uh, go into um, creation.com and do a search on the articles for, um, I, I guess it's hard to remember his name, Marcel Paul Schutzenberger, but uh, if you Googled French Darwin data, French Darwin data in the search engine on uh, creation.com. Well, probably even if you uh, Googled that, uh, you would come up again with uh, details about his uh, opposition to Darwinism on the basis of mathematical science. Again, as we look at um, other scientists that have... uh, pointed out the major flaws in in Darwinism. In the area of genetics, um, another contributor to the book in six days is uh, Dr. James Allen. And he uh, has his doctorate in uh, genetics from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. 
and uh, he um, taught at university for for years um, at uh, the University of Stellenbosch in South Africa. And again, in his article, he points out when we look at the uh, the genetics and and the genes, and of course, uh, many proponents of evolution claim, well, you you have you know gene duplication, and this allows for the evolution of such and such and so forth, and the similarity between the the genes between apes and humans and and so forth, and and chimpanzees and humans, and therefore there must have been a common ancestor. He again deals expertly with um, these very issues and and points out that the the data do, again doesn't point to evolution. The data points to evolution not occurring, and it, it points out that if um, humans and um, chimps had have evolved from a common ancestor, there are certain genetic changes that should have happened that haven't happened and certain changes that have happened uh, that are biomarkers of, of other events that should have happened that haven't happened. And it, it's quite a, a detailed scientific um, treatise, but he explains it in detail for those who uh, are looking at the uh, genetic side of things, why evolution is impossible. He also looks at the population studies and says that if we extrapolate on using the best population data that we have uh, and extrapolate back, the Earth's population, as we have observed over the past hundreds of years, and we have a bit of an idea of population levels over for several hundred years now, when we uh, extrapolate back, we can see that uh, life on Earth only being, uh, you know, about five, four or five thousand years old, or four or five thousand years since the flood, actually fits the population dynamics really well. If it was much older than that, if it was, you know, uh, millions of years that humans were roaming on the Earth, then we would expect much different population dynamics to what we observe now. Another uh, contributor, again, who rejects evolution and supports uh, young Earth uh, creation is a, a biochemist by the name of um, George Javel. And he earned his um, PhD in biochemistry from Columbia University in New York, uh, quite a prestigious university, of course, there, Columbia University. And... Um, his area of specialisation is actually in the area of E. coli bacteria. And in his uh, chapter in the book, he points out very, very clearly and very strongly how it is absolutely impossible for a living molecule, a living organism, a, li a living bacteria of some kind to form from non-living molecules. And one of the reasons for this is that he points out that the complexity of the simplest cell is, is absolutely enormous. So not only do we need the complex molecule of DNA, but we need hundreds of different types of nucleic acids. We need 
whole lot of uh, different types of fats. We need a whole lot of different types of sugar-type molecules. We need hundreds of little enzyme molecules. Now, these are special little protein-type molecules that catalyse chemical reactions or or help uh, chemical reactions that normally wouldn't happen, happen. All these specialist molecules all have to be there, but not only just one or two of them. In in the case of uh, proteins um, and and fats and sugars, we need millions of these molecules. And they're not just simple little sugars. They're not just little simple fats. These are long-chain polymer molecules, biopolymers. Now, I was reading an article just uh, the other day in the newspaper where they were saying, oh, scientists now uh, believe they have more evidence that life first arose in in some high-temperature thermal pool somewhere. But, (laughs) again, these claims go against what we know about chemistry at the present time, the chemistry of these molecules. Now, chemistry is a science, and we know there are laws of chemistry. The the molecules obey certain laws of chemistry to react. Some things don't react. Other things do react. So in the presence of, of heat, petrol and oxygen will react, and we will get a, we will get a flame. And But you can heat glass in the presence of oxygen to a very high temperature and it's not going to, to burn. So there are, there, are, you know, there are reactions that go, there are reactions that don't go. And so when we look at the biochemistry reaction, if we're going to form these long-chain biopolymers, millions and millions of them being required, and we're talking about tens of millions of them, of specialist molecules being required to actually form the structures of just one little living organism, then the chemistry to form these long-chain molecules says that these long-chain molecules are going to be less stable the higher the temperature, and also in the presence of water, they're going to break down. They don't form. The long-chain molecules don't form in water. They break down in water. So we can see what the proponents are trying to uh, push is the very opposite to what we observe when we study chemistry. And the complexity of all these reactions um, and the structures is is just just so complex that it's so hard for the human mind, the human brain, to actually perceive and, and get a picture of the enormous complexity that is in just the simplest little living cell that we wouldn't even be able to see with the with the human eye. But the other interesting thing is that, say, and George Java points this out, Dr. Java points this out, that even if we had all the components of the cell there, say we, we had the little, um, little micro, uh, living cell, well, not alive, but say we had all the structures there of all the sugars and the fats and the proteins and the nucleic acids and the enzymes, and they were all there. All the structure was there. It was already set up. Somehow it, it, it came together and formed. We still couldn't make it alive because to make it alive, you would have to actually set into a state of disequilibrium, and that is out of balance, Hundreds of biochemical reactions, all at the same time, all out of phase by just the right amount. And of course, this is this is impossible for it to happen. Uh, 
um, that they can be suddenly set up in a state of disequilibrium so that reaction A is out of... Uh, is out of equilibrium with with B so that it's trying to force B to make it at just the right concentration for reaction with C to go to be at just the right concentration for reaction D to go and so forth down and then back into the loop to produce just the right amount of material to producing reaction A again. So it's extremely complex. I mean, it's hard to explain over the... Um, over the radio as well without a diagrams and blackboard. But these are the things that Dr. Java points out very uh, forcefully in, in his article as well. Another uh, scientist who contributed, uh, again, who points out why evolution is uh, impossible in this book is a, is a Dr. Dwayne Ford. And uh, he holds his PhD in chemistry from the Clark University of Worcester in, in Massachusetts. And um, he'd uh, been a professor of chemistry for many years, taught in the academic uh, university system there in the United States for over 30 years. And again, he points out that if the earth was made of pure carbon, it would contain only about 10 to the 50 carbon atoms, but more than 10 to the power... 800 and, uh, 450 carbon atoms would be needed in order to make enough amino acids to form the proteins to achieve the probability of producing just one protein molecule with a prescribed sequence. So he, he goes on again. He does the calculations. He, he talks about the amazing evidence for intelligent design in, in nature, the blood clotting mechanism, um, the high degree of organisations in the cell. So, again, you can see uh, Dr. Uh, Dwayne Ford's article uh, by, um, again, if you go on to uh, creation.com, Google creation.com, do a search on the search engine there for in six days and look up the, the chapters. But what about faith? Uh, there are many leading scientists who recognise that, that God is, is real. Uh, was in uh, one of his books, um, Dr. Ben Carson, the famous neurosurgeon, talks about how he was doing this brain operation on this, on this child and suddenly from deep within the brain there was massive hemorrhaging. Blood was pouring out everywhere. They couldn't see where the blood was coming from. So much blood was coming out. It was so deep. They put suction on. They just couldn't keep up with it. They realised that um, the, uh, at this rate of blood loss, uh, they would lose the child. And um, so here we have this world-leading brain surgeon uh, trying to save the life of this child. And he, he talks about how he just prayed, Lord, please stop the bleeding. We can't do anything. I can't do anything. Please stop the bleeding. And he, he just jabbed his, the special forceps down further into the brain and the bleeding stopped. And they were able to save the life of the, the child. And he, he talks about these many answers to prayer that, it, that is real. And I think for, for, many, for many people uh, think that God is, you know, uh, is this, this amazing creator, if he uh, existed, is, is really not interested in them. But I, 
I, I don't believe that is true. We have many uh, personal experiences with God, or I have. I mean, just yesterday, my colleague that I work with had spent uh, several weeks preparing a special presentation that he had to give later this week. And he said to me, he said, John, I, I, I can't find my presentation. I, I, it's not on my computer. I, I, can't, I can't find where I've saved it. And he, when you open PowerPoint on the computer, you can all the, the recent files come up. And it, it wasn't coming up as a file that he ha, had opened recently. He said, it's, it's not there. It's, it's not coming up that, I, that I've opened it up recently and I can't find it in any of the places, any of my folders where I've saved it. And he was really panicking because he said, I've got no, I don't have time now to do my presentation uh, to re-prepare it again. Uh, it, it's taken me ages. And I, I just sensed his panic and I, I said to him, we need to pray. And I prayed, God, if the file is on the computer, please help us to find it. And we just opened our eyes and where he'd been scrolling down that a name for that file come out, but it had a dollar sign in front of it and the file was empty, but at least now he had the name. And he said, where did that come from? Where did where, where did that file name come from? Where is it? Where is it on my computer? And because he'd already done searches, you know, entering in and getting going searching through the computer to try and find the file name. And I was impressed to say, look, um, scroll down and look in this particular area. And we scrolled down. And then, sure enough, there was the the file. Tor it was stored in a totally unrelated file, file a file related to you know, nothing to do with what he would normally do with work. Um, and somehow it had been stored there. And as I said, it wasn't coming up under the search engines. But um, he gave me a hug <laughs> after that because that was so meaningful to him. I was just on the on the phone this week to another friend who's a, a professional prospector, and he was saying he was uh, just a couple of weeks ago had spent ten days looking for these uh, very old uh, gold workings that are on this massive uh, cattle station in very rugged uh, area uh, west of uh, uh, Townsville, northwest of Townsville in the mountains there. Um, several hundred thousand acre property and uh, on the, they'd been out for nine or so days and they'd begun to get some showing, some, some nuggets. But the, the track that they were on was extremely rough. Uh, they'd gone through a lot of fuel and they thought uh, there's a shortcut where we can get back onto the highway and they... Realised though that the, what the track they thought they were on was so rough, uh, and it wasn't then taking them back to where they could get onto a road. And they realised they'd passed the point of no return, and they were running out of diesel. They didn't have enough diesel to get back. And my friend said, "I prayed, Lord, we need diesel. Somehow you've got to provide us with some diesel out here." And they turned around. And they're coming back, and they're through the bush they noticed way over in the distance a derelict machine and they went over to it and there was this rusting away old abandoned bulldozer but there was still a little bit of diesel 
in the fuel tank and they were able to drain about a bucket full out, which gave them enough fuel to get back to the uh, farmer's uh, homestead where they could get fuel. So these are the uh, examples that show to me in just everyday life that God is real. This has been Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Bye for now. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.